0: All right, well, good evening again. If you missed that first introduction, my name is Sean. If uh, you are with us for the first time, welcome. We're stoked that you are here. Um, we've been in the series on God with us. It's rooted in a very profound scripture that is really central to our understanding of the God that we love and we serve. Uh, it's found in Matthew's gospel in chapter one. Um, Matthew, the uh, author of this uh, gospel, is uh, prophetically connecting uh, what the prophets of old said about regarding Jesus, specifically the prophet Isaiah, and this is what he writes. He says, look, the virgin will conceive a child, and she will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means, help me out, what does it mean? God with us, and so uh, this is kind of the the, the verses that is rooted in the reality of the incarnation, this great mystery of God uh, dwelling with us, taking on uh, on human flesh, and then being one of us, and walking amongst us, and we'll talk more about that next week, about the incarnation, Um, but but uh, we've been talking about the, this reality of, of, of Emmanuel and how we get to experience um, the presence of God. And so, in week one, um, we were talked about God experiencing God in the valley in those difficult seasons of life. And uh, we said, while well, we can enjoy God on the mountaintop when things are going well in our lives, when we are uh, money in the bank and the family's healthy and things are going good, it's easy to to believe this reality that God is with us. We sense God's favor, we sense His presence. Um, but in the valley, when things go south and we're in those dark places of life, it's a lot harder to believe. Um, But the reality is that that we said that while we can enjoy God on the mountaintop, we get to know God intimately in the valleys. It's in those times of difficulty when we come to the end of ourselves that we really begin to experience and know God in a very intimate way, in ways that we would never uh, know God and experience God um, on the mountaintops. And then uh, the week, uh, last week, if you were here, we talked about experiencing God in the wilderness, another metaphor for uh, these difficult, prolonged, seasons unlike the valley that passes through uh, sometimes we can feel life is difficult for a long time you know we, we, we can go through seasons of life where where it's not just a week or two or three but it goes into months and sometimes even years where we really feel like we're in a wilderness in a dry place and so we, we were talking about how we get to experience God in the wilderness and we said that, um, that our deepest needs can actually be a gift when they drive us to depend on God um, that, that sometimes when we get to that place where we just are done and we have nothing left is when we really need the restorative presence of God and and when our deepest needs drive us to that place of dependence um, it is actually a gift because that's where we get to see God move in ways that we would never experience before and we saw how God oftentimes comes uh, to us in the wilderness in the whisper right in the soft gentle voice um, because he is close because he is a God who is with us, because he is a God who is near. And so um, this week, as we kind of uh, come to the to the end of the series, as we kind of prepare our hearts um, for Christmas, um, uh, we're going to talk about God in, in another metaphor, in terms of another metaphor that the Scriptures write, is used for difficult seasons, and that is experiencing God, God with us in the storms. Um, so... Um, I don't know if you, I heard this uh, a a while back and it's a little discouraging, but it's really true. Um, Someone once said that you're either coming out of a storm or you're in a storm or a storm's just around the corner right? Not really encouraging, right? But it's true. I mean, obviously, if you've been around for any length of time, you know the reality of that. I mean, life is difficult and life is hard. And oftentimes those difficulties can feel like storms, like we feel like we've been buffeted by circumstance and events, whether it's physical, relational, emotional, financial. And so, um, you know, we, we oftentimes experience these storms in life. And so the question I want to lean into this evening is like, where is God in the midst of the storm? Um, now, uh, you know, if we're a, we're an island community and we we are not unfamiliar with storms, right? Uh, we actually have a hurricane season here um, in Hawaii. Um, I spent many of my earlier years sailing boats in the Caribbean, which is also very susceptible to storms. So I'm kind of very familiar with storms. Um, and and here in, in the islands, we're familiar with storms. In fact, uh, it was Hurricane Dora that was about 800 miles out to the southwest of the Hawaiian Islands that fueled the winds that actually um, Kind of caused the the kind of weird wind event that fueled the wildfires that that were so destructive over this past summer. And so we felt uh, you know storms here in Hawaii. We felt the effects even from 800 miles away. We, we are impacted by storms. Uh, fortunately, by God's grace, um, uh, Hawaii has uh, not been kind of uh, hit by, by a major hurricane for for a number of years now. But some of you have been around long enough to ha- uh, remember the devastating effect of Hurricane Iniki, right? Uh, in Niki was uh, devastated. In fact, we were on Kauai just a couple of weeks ago, and uh, on P- I think it's Poipoi Beach. Uh, I could probably be pronouncing that horribly, uh, but uh, there's a resort that was destroyed, and it's still destroyed. It's still in ruins. It's like you can still see evidence of it. You know, some or oh, 20, almost 25 years later, it's still kind of like the the effects of storms can be devastating. Um, and I was thinking about like this about hurricanes, like. Why do they name hurricanes and like? Why often do they name them after women? And so I did a little research about that, which is kind of weird, right? Um, and I think starting like in the in the in the mid to late 50s some meteorologists decided that they were going to start naming these storms after their girlfriends or their wives and you know like which is weird I mean like think about like I came home like I came home from the weather office and say hey hun there's a category 5 hurricane coming down it's going to destroy all kinds of places property it's going to be destructive it's going to be horrible people are probably going to die and we named it jessica you know, I mean, like, I mean, it's just weird. Uh, but then, I guess, in the, in the 70s, they felt like, you know, equal rights and everything. So they started naming them after guys' names as well. Um, you know, so I don't know what, what that's about, but they name storms. Um, and, and in Hawaii, actually, the, the Hawaii uh, region, um, if a hurricane forms in the eastern Pacific and like past a certain latitude, uh, the Hawaiian Pacific region gets to name the storm. And so we name them Hawaiian names. And, and it's actually got an interesting history of the storm name, like in Niki, um, You know, it it actually means piercing wind or biting wind. The hurricane that hit landfell before that, I can't remember when that was. It was a while before that. Iwa is actually, it means thief or, or, or the snatcher. And actually, there was a lot of pushback from local Hawaiians because, who, who kind of understood the Hawaiian language because these were like bad names, right? They were nasty names. And so they started calling the uh, the, the National Weather Service and saying, hey, you've got to stop calling them horrible names because what you name and what you call actually comes in. And so cut it out. Stop calling them the thief and the snatcher and like these horrible names. And I don't know if they changed that or not, but uh, uh, it's it's weird to think that they actually name these destructive storms. Um, but... The truth of the matter is that storms are very present in our lives. And and maybe there are a couple of storms that you can name in your life. Right. Maybe right now you got a storm and you've named it. It's called, and you know, a relational storm, and you can put a person around that storm. Or maybe it's a financial storm. You know, maybe you're just kind of just struggling. You're in debt and you're just drowning in this debt, and it just feels like you've been buffeted and you can never get out of it. Uh, maybe it's a it's a marital storm. You know, you're kind of going through this really difficult season and time in your in your marriage, and it just feels like it just like you're getting buffeted and pushed back and forth by these currents and these winds of, of just discontent. And and, and, and conflict, and you know, so it feels like these storms. And perhaps, you know, you can name one or two storms that you're experiencing um, in your life. Um, and so, um, you know, we all experience storms in our lives. And, and the thing uh, when it comes to storms... Um, uh, you know, we, we tend to want to blame God for the storms. Have you ever felt like we tend to kind of want to put some blame? to some reason if we don't blame God, we blame the other person or the boss or the something else. Like we, we tend to want to um, blame God. And so most of the time when we are in the storms, we, we, we question kind of like, is God in the midst of this, right? Where is God? And so that's the kind of question that, that I want to kind of lean into. It's like, where is God in the midst of the storm? Um, and, and like I said, when most of us experience storms, we, we, the question that comes to mind is like, where is God? Right? Like, why am I experiencing this? Why is God allowing this into my life, you know? Um, you know and so um, here, here, here's the big thought that I want you to kind of hold on to today. Um, here's a key thought. Never allow the presence of a storm to, to cause you to doubt the presence of God in your life. Because it's very easy in the midst of a storm to begin to doubt the presence of God. And so don't allow the presence of a storm uh, to, to cause you to doubt the presence of God in your life. Um, so to unpack this, I want to look at a, a very literal storm that the Apostle Paul um, went through, kind of a voyage through the storm, and, and hopefully kind of give us some uh, insight into kind of seeing uh, God in the midst of that storm. So we're going to be in the book of uh, Acts, um, Acts chapter 27. Uh, if you've got a Bible, you can find your way there. If you don't have a Bible, I always encourage you to bring your Bible to church. thats a, I know it's an old school thing, but you can be cool. You can keep it on your phone, and then you can look at your phone. Just don't look at Instagram. Don't look at Facebook. Look, look at your Bible app. Version is a great Bible uh, app. If you don't have one, it's it also has great Bible reading plans, so I'm just plugging them. It's a free app. Um, you know, I don't get any commission from plugging them. It's just like it's it's free. Uh, and if you don't own a Bible, I would really encourage you to, uh, to, to get one. In fact, you can take the little pew Bible that we have there. If you don't have a Bible, take it home with you. That's our gift to you. We want you to make sure that you have the Word of God with you at all times. And so um, Acts chapter 27, if you don't know where the book of Acts is, it's okay. You can look at the content right in the beginning of the thing. Find your way there. If you're new to the whole Bible study thing, it's It's no shame to look at the contents. You don't expect to, like you're sitting in the book of, you know, I don't know, Ezekiel because you're too embarrassed to figure out where it is. It's okay. Look at the contents. It's fine. Find the book of Acts. Um, And so Acts chapter 27, here's the context of the story. Uh, The Apostle Paul um, has been incredibly bold in his preaching. If you know his story, he was a Pharisee, a very religious guy, actually was a persecutor of the early church. But then uh, he met Jesus. He met the resurrected Jesus, and his life radically changed. And he became one of the greatest advocates of the gospel, of the person of Jesus Christ, and preached the the resurrection with incredible boldness throughout the whole of Asia Minor, that whole region of southern Turkey, uh, Greece, and the Mediterranean region. He did a number of uh, of trips, missionary trips, in there, and he was predominantly reaching the Gentiles, and uh, this kind of caused a, a lot of kind of like a lot of people weren't happy with that. Uh, the pagan priests and all those guys weren't happy with that. Uh, the the Jewish leaders weren't happy with that. In fact, the Jewish leaders were so kind of um, like put out of uh, shape about this whole gospel uh, and the message of Jesus Christ, the resurrected Messiah, um, that they actually spoke to the uh, to the governing authorities, and they actually had Paul arrested. And so Paul gets arrested. And he gets brought before all these um, different um, uh, Roman officials that are governing uh, Judea and Samaria at that time. And, and Paul's incredibly bold in his, in his proclamation of the gospel before them. He just keeps preaching. He's like trying to convert the governor, and he just keeps going. Um, and uh, none of them can really find anything wrong with him, but they just kind of keep batting him forth, back and forth, between one governor and one official to the next. And eventually Paul's had it, and he realizes that he wants a bigger audience. Like, he's like, I want to go preach to Caesar himself, to the emperor. And so because R- Paul's a Roman citizen, um, he, he appeals to Caesar. He says, you guys can't figure this out, then take me to Caesar let me go before Caesar and I'll preach the gospel to him you didn't say that in the script I'm just thinking that's what he's thinking uh, so anyway uh, anyway so they go like fine you appeal to Caesar we'll send you off to Caesar and so uh, they basically put him on a ship so picking up the story in Acts chapter 27 this is what it says uh, when it was decided that they should sail to Italy Paul and some other prisoners, prisoners were ho- handed over to a centurion named Julius who belonged to the imperial regiments we boarded a ship now I, I love this this is kind of written in the, in the first person by, by the writer of Acts, um, uh, the, the, a man named um, Luke. And who, who, what else did Luke write? No, the Gospel of Luke, right? So he wrote both the Gospel of Luke as well as the book of Acts. And I love Luke because Luke gives you such incredible detail. If you ever read through the Gospels of Luke and the book of Acts, it's just like detail after detail. I mean, it's so cool. In fact, this story, I'm only going to read a little bit of it. I would encourage you to read it. Chapter 7, there's so much detail in there, specific places, geographic locations where they traveled, places that you can still go see today. And so Luke gives us all this great detail, and he says, Uh, who belonged to Julius, who belonged to the Imperial Regiment. We boarded a ship from Adrian Matthew, about to sail for ports along the coast of the province of Asia, and we put out to sea. So they, off they go on this voyage. Now, during the course of the voyage, they have to kind of change ships along the different places, ports. They get onto different ships, and they transfer, working their way, uh, hopefully, to Rome eventually. Uh, and, And, um, Along the way, they encounter a lot of unfavorable winds and all kinds of circumstances, and so the trip is really delayed, and it pushes them back into the storm season. So in verse verse 9, Luke tells us that much time had been lost. Sailing had become dangerous because we are now it was the Day of Atonement, and so he kind of gives us a a reference point for the season of the year. And then he says, so Paul warned them. He says to to his shipmates, he says, men. I can see that our voyage is going to be disastrous and bring great loss to ships and cargo and to our lives also. But the centurion, instead of listening to what Paul said, followed the advice of the pilot and the owner of the ship. And so they go like, you know, whatever, Paul. What do you know? You're not a sailor. We're sailors. The owner of the ship obviously had cargo. He had some financial kind of concerns. He wanted to get his goods to market. And so they press on, even knowing that it's it's a very dangerous time to sail in that region. And then, sure enough, um, they they encounter this massive storm. Um, and it's and it's and it's like it's just relentless, unrelenting. It's just it's pounding the ship, uh, the crews terrified, they start bailing the cargo and throwing stuff overboard, fearing that the ship is going to sink and they're going to all lose their lives. And so we'll pick up in verse 20, this is what it says, um, when neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and the storm continued raging. So like the sun and the stars, it's just like it's black, dark, and it's, and, and, and the storm is just raging, it's unrelenting. Now, some of you might actually relate to that, right? Some of you might actually have experienced a storm in your life, but it just feels unrelenting. It's like it's just not giving up. It's like it's one thing after another, and it just keeps coming and coming and coming. And day after day after day for this prolonged season of time, it's just kind of buffeting you and just kind of pushing on you, and it's like unrelenting. And then it says in verse at the end of verse 20, it says, We finally gave up all hope of being saved. We finally gave up hope, all hope of being saved, um, you know. And, and I think this is the reality. And so jot that down. In the midst of the storm, this is uh, some of you might have experienced this, right? Uh, we we, we kind of give up hope, right? So oftentimes when we're just being buffeted and it's unrelenting and it just keeps going and going and going, we can get to the point where we just give up hope, Um, you know, and you go like, man, I'm done with my marriage, right? It's like, you know, it's just, it's not stopping. It's unrelenting and you lose hope, right? You lose hope. Um, you know, it's like, like you know, maybe you, you're, you're trying to have a baby or something, and you, you've been trying and trying, and it just feels like life is just buffeting you, and all these emotions are swirling around. It feels like an emotional storm, and, and eventually, just you, time after time, you just, you you just you, eventually, you just want to give up hope, right? Um, you give up all hope, and the storm continued to rage, and they gave up all hope. And then in verse 21, it says, after they had gone a long time without food, Paul stood up before them and said, men, you should have taken my advice not to sail from Crete when you would have, um, then you would have spared yourselves this, chair, this, this damage and lost. So Paul had prophetically warned them. We had read it in chapter 10, right, that, that you know, this was going to be disastrous, right? Um, how many of you have been in a storm and then one of your family members kind of says like, hey, told you so, right? This is what Paul's doing, yeah? Don't do that right? Don't do that. It's not helpful, right? Like, I, I don't know, I'm not, like, thinking of these sailors, because this is what Paul's doing. He's basically told you so, Right, I mean, like it's a little bit like a jerk things to do, right? Which shows you that as spiritual as Paul is and was, right, as as used by God was, he was just a human, right? He he was prone to doing what we are prone to doing, right? When we warn someone, when we kind of kind of see the storm coming, and people are making decisions, and you go like, when it happens and in the midst of it, you go like, "Told you so. You should have listened to me. Don't do that. Right? It's not helpful." You know I if you know Paul really wasn't helping these guys by by telling them that um, and, and and but I think you know it just shows Paul's humanity like I think he he like us, we're prone to kind of like especially when we're right, you know, just kind of remind people, yeah, I was right, and you were wrong, and so like basically this is your fault, right? I told you so um, and and and, and he the thing, right sometimes the reason you're in a storm is because it is your own dumb fault, right let's be honest, right I mean Paul warned these guys, they knew, these were seasoned sailors, right? They knew that this was a dangerous time to sail. They knew the storms in that region were, were violent, and this happened all the time. Ships got wrecked. People didn't sail during that season for this reason. And yes, despite wisdom, despite good counsel, despite good advice, they pressed on anyway. Um, and, and so they, it was basically they were in the storm because it was their fault, um, you know this is funny like I see this we do this as Christians a lot like oftentimes when we're in storms we blame the devil don't we we love to blame the devil it's like yeah the devil he's like you know and and I get it I'm not I'm not diminishing the, the reality of the spiritual war that we in the battle is real uh, we'll see this the spiritual reality kind of come through here in a minute um, but but oftentimes you know we blame the devil it's like the reason you know I'm in this relational mess right now is because the devil did it or the devil made me do it it's like no the reason you're in the mess right now because it's your own dumb fault you know people told you don't do this right people warned you right but you did it anyway right uh, and so maybe you're, you're in a financial storm right now and, and the reason is not the devil it's because you just kind of can't help yourself you just keep spending money you don't have right it's not the devil's fault it's your fault You know, sometimes we need to just be honest and own it, right? Maybe you're in a relational storm because you just can't keep your emotions in check and you say things and do things uh, that you shouldn't say and you shouldn't do. And now you're in this big relational storm and it's your own fault, you know, because you just can't control your emotions. You know, maybe you're in a professional mess, right, uh, and, and you missed the deadline, and now your boss is threatening to fire you, and, and, and the reason you missed the deadline is because you've been procrastinating, you've been putting off this job and the, this, this project for, for months, knowing that you need to finish it, and you're just like, I don't know, whatever you're doing, you think it's more important than this, and now you're in this, like, professional storm because you've procrastinated, and it's your own fault right? And sometimes we we are in storms because of our own fault. This was the situation with these guys, right? Now, they were in a very dangerous, precarious position. They could lose the entire ship. They could lose their lives uh, because they just would not follow wisdom, right? Um, So sometimes we just have to be honest. We have to realize the reason we're in a storm is because of our own fault. Um, Now, I don't know if you notice this, like, it's easier to, to believe that God will help you and get you out of the storm when you it's not your fault right but when it is your own fault right and you know that then you go like oh I deserve this right yeah I know I was dumb and you start kind of getting like self-incriminating and you get into this really dark place and then the devil does jump in he's like yeah it is your fault and you're an idiot and you're a fool and you deserve this and then it feels just it just compounds it right Uh, but how many of you know that God is good and gracious? Right? He redeems and saves, even when it's our own fault. <laughs> you know, and we get to see this here in a minute. Um, and, and so um, you know, there are times that we find ourselves in a storm because it is our fault. You know? um, and, and so the storm continued to rage, and they gave up hope. And maybe the reason they gave up all hope is because they realized, man, we, we were dumb. We made some bad decisions along the way here. Uh, we shouldn't have left port. We should have stayed. We should have followed Paul's advice, you know, and, and so sometimes we give up hope because we realize that, you know, like, I deserve this, you know, and, uh, and, and so consequently, you know, we, we give up hope. Um, but, you know, I, I would imagine on that ship, uh, there were others that, that maybe had no agency. They weren't a part of that decision making. And so they found themselves in the middle of a storm, and it wasn't their fault, Right. Uh, they, they didn't have the, any power to influence the decision of whether or not they would sell or whether they would come or go. And, and so they were kind of just, just, just part of the crew and following the direction of the skipper and those in charge. And sometimes uh, we can find ourselves in a storm, and it's not our fault, right? And th- that happens all the time. You know, maybe you're a kid, and um, you know, somehow something went south in your, your parents' marriage, and suddenly your, your family's in the midst of this big storm. And it's got nothing to do with you. It wasn't your fault, but you found yourself in the midst of a storm. You know, maybe uh, you know your you, your 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 bosses maybe at work. You know, they made some bad financial decisions, and now you have to. You know, you're getting find yourself getting laid off because of their bad decisions. It's not your fault, but you're in this financial storm, and it had nothing to do with you. Um, And so sometimes, you know, we find ourselves in storms because it's our own dumb fault, and we just need to honestly acknowledge that. And sometimes we find ourselves in the midst of a storm, um, and it's not our fault. But regardless how you got there, right, whether it's your fault or not fault, oftentimes when the storm is raging, like these sailors, uh, you can give up all hope, right? You can give up all hope. And, And so this brings us to kind of the... Um, The the big idea again, never allow the presence of a storm, right, to to cause you to doubt the presence of God. Never allow the presence of a storm to cause you to doubt the presence of God. Look at what the Apostle Paul says in verse 22. He says, so he gets up and he says, now I urge you to keep courage. Somebody say keep courage. In fact, turn to your neighbor and say keep courage. Because maybe they need to hear that right now. Maybe some of you need to hear that. Some of you are in the middle of a storm right now and you need to keep courage, right? You need to be encouraged. Never let the presence of a storm cause you to doubt the presence of God. So keep up your courage. Keep up faith, Paul says. Because not one of you will be lost, he says, verse 22. Only the ship will be destroyed. Now, why is Paul so confident, right? He's in the middle of the storm. Remember, the storm's still raging, right? The storm's still raging. They're ready to like, you know, they, they think they, they're lost. They've given up all hope. And then Paul gets up and he says, hey, keep courage. You know, uh, you know not, not all, everything's going to be lost. You know, the ship will be destroyed, but you guys are going to be fine. And then he says, why? This is why. He says, last night, an angel of God, to whom, my God, to whom I belong and to whom I serve, what did he do, this angel? He stood beside me. We serve a God who is with us, right? A God who is close. A God who is near. Uh, Now, honestly, I read that and I've got all kinds of questions about this text. (laughs) I'm like, what on earth? I mean, think about this, an angel of the Lord. Like, what did he look like? Did he have huge wings? Like, was it even a guy? Maybe it was a girl. I don't know. Like, maybe it was like a female angel and she had this flaming sword. I don't know. Like, I've got all kinds of questions about this text. I mean, but this is crazy, right? I mean, think about this, Right. You're in the boat in the middle of a storm, a raging storm that's unrelenting, just ceaseless. Storm is buffeting. The ship is falling apart. And then an angel of the Lord appears. And he stands right beside you. Crazy, right? Crazy story. You know, and, and I, you know, honestly, I, I don't know a lot about angels. Uh, I don't. I mean, I know some people. Um, that I've spoken to they have actually said they've seen angels and, I, you know, who might doubt what they, they said they see. Because if I just look at the biblical narrative, I read stories like that, I know that, you know, what we see in the physical is not all there is. That the spiritual world is real. Um, and so just based on the biblical narrative, not on my personal experience, I mean, I've got to believe that angels are real. You know, in fact, there there's some accounts um, in, in the Bible where angels appear and they're not like this big, flaming, massive, big being with wings and flaming swords. They're just like regular people. You know, so maybe I've encountered a few angels in my life, not even knowing it. Maybe you've encountered a few angels in your life and we don't know it. Maybe there are even angels in the room right now, right? I mean, there's a spiritual realm that we live in, that we cannot see. There's this crazy story in 2 Kings. Uh, there was Elijah, we talked about Elijah last week. Well, after Elijah, he anointed another, he gave the mantle to another prophet, Elisha. And Elisha, you know, like Elijah, has all kinds of things going, drama going on in his life. It's intriguing, you should read Kings, there are great stories in there. Um, and there's a, the, the, the king of Assyria is, is trying to like destroy the kingdom of Israel, and, uh, and he hears that Elisha has kind of been like, every time he tries something, Elisha gets like word from the Lord and he kind of forts it. And so he sends his army to kind of like get rid of Elisha. And, uh, and so he, Elisha and his servants are in this little town and they wake up one morning and all the Assyrians are like, they surrounded the town in the chariots. And, and the young man is terrified. He's like, oh my gosh, this is it, this is the end. And Elisha is like, Lord, open his eyes. And he prays that that this young man's eyes would be open. And as his eyes are open, he sees in the spiritual realm that surrounding the Syrians are are these chariots of fire. And the Lord um, just powerfully delivers Elisha and his servants. Great story. Read it. 2 Kings, chapter six, I think it's in there. Awesome story. Um, So, according to the biblical narrative, there's a whole realm out there, you know? Um, and, And so. Here, you know, this angel of the Lord appears. The God to whom I belong, that I serve, stood beside me. An angel appeared to me. Um, just a powerful, powerful, powerful story of the presence of God showing up. And so the point of this is this. Is here's what I want you to see. Is that you may be in the middle of a storm right now. And you may have no idea how God's presence is with you. I mean, God's presence can appear in ways that we sometimes don't always understand. You know, whether it's an angelic being that maybe you don't have eyes to see, but is effectively helping you navigate and minister to you through those. Maybe it's, it's an angel, but it's very real. Like it's a, it's a person that God has sent to you in the midst of that storm. But oftentimes we're in the midst of the storm. We, we, we don't really see, have eyes to see what God is doing. But we serve a God who is with us and is always actively with us and participating with us even in the midst of a storm so last night paul says an angel of the lord whom i belong and whom i serve stood beside me so never 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 allow the presence of a storm to cause you to doubt the presence of god in your life and this was certainly wasn't the first storm that paul experienced in his life right I mean, Paul went through all kinds of storms, relational storms, storms of persecution. In fact, in 2 Corinthians, Paul writes this. He says, we were hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. We were perplexed, but not in despair. We were persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. Why? Because his God was with him, right? His God was with him. The God to whom I belong, and to whom I serve is beside me. You know, so Paul was able to weather incredible storms, physical storms, as well as relational storms, emotional storms, storms like you and I experience on the daily. And yet, he was never abandoned because his God was with him. And so whatever storm you're going through right now, know this, God has not left you. God has not deserted you. God is with you, he's at your side, and he will strengthen you. You know, King David, like Paul, was a man who experienced a lot of storms in his life. And quite frankly, some of the storms were his own fault, right? He did some kind of dumb stuff. Like you and I, we do some dumb stuff. We don't take advice. We don't always follow biblical wisdom, right? You know, maybe some of you are like in a marriage turmoil right now, and you're like, man, it's such a storm, you know? But your mama warned you, don't marry him. Your daddy warned you, don't marry him. Your pastor warned you, don't marry him. But you're like, man, you know, uh, you know once we get married, he's going to change. Yeah. You know, and sometimes we, we find ourselves in storms because, you know, the heart wants what the heart wants. You know, and it's our fault. But God is good and gracious, right? He's kind and he will redeem. And sometimes we find ourselves in storms, right, um, that, that, that are just not our own fault. And, and, and when we understand that God is with us, right, it changes the way we navigate that storm. It really does. You know, when, when, when someone is in the boat with you, who you trust, who you can have confidence in, right, it just changes the way uh, you experience that storm. Kind of a, a related story I'll share, share with you. Um, I went to school in South Africa, and it's kind of like a parochial boys' school, and, uh, and it's like high school, there's like junior high, high school, the whole thing. So you got like these grown men. I mean, they felt like men to me when I was in junior high, like a little sixth grader. Um, and little guys, little guys still in adolescence kind of working their way up. And so um, when you were a junior in high school, um, all the boys uh, wore long gray pants. We had uniforms, except the first years. We wore shorts, right, and so we were like the little boys, uh, you know, amongst men, and I, and we're still in a time where um, where child abuse was actually legalized in schools, like ha- they called it hazing. Uh, which is basically nowadays we would call it child abuse because that's what it was. I mean, you'd have the senior boys, would just like, we, they would torture us. They were really, they were just like, you know, I mean, they there was a, probably a limit, I guess, somewhere, I don't know what the limit was, but like they would do the craziest things to us. Like they would just like, they would hang you up in the showers by like the back of your shirt. And uh, they would, you know, just, just, just terrorize you, um, and it was just part of the accepted culture of the church that everyone went through it, and that was just part of it. And then when you became a senior, you did it to the juniors as well, because that's just the way it kind of went. Uh, not 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 justifying it. I'm just saying that's what we grew up in. However, uh, my brother, my older brother, actually half brother, he's uh, four years older than me, so he was uh, he was kind of higher up. And my brother was a bit of a bruiser, like he was like a. He was like, just had a bad boy reputation at school. He was always kind of just causing trouble and fighting. And he just had a reputation. And I remember as a junior coming into school and we would like always avoid the seniors. So we would like, if at break, you had a tuck shop where you could buy like little things. Um, but there was a group of seniors that were just the worst of them. And we would like walk all the way around the school just so we could avoid them, right? And, and, and we're just like, it would just ruin your whole break. It just was like, just trying to avoid these guys like just terrorizing you. Um, and then one day this group of seniors kind of spotted us like my group of friends and they kind of came after us and we, they kind of cornered us in this quadrangle like of the school and then one of the guys I heard him say he's like oh that, that's that's Waite's little brother and that that was my brother like my last name they called him like Waite's little brother and 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 suddenly they just turned around and they walked away and it was like Huh, that association with my, my brother, my older brother, made all the difference in the middle of that storm because of who I was with, right? My, that association made all the difference. And so the question I would say, like, you know, your associating with Christ should make a whole big difference in the way you navigate the storms of life. And so the question I'd ask you, like, who's in your boat, right? Who's in your boat? There's a great story of uh, the disciples, like Paul, experiencing a very literal storm uh, in the Gospel of Mark. Um, I'll just take you there really quickly. Mark's Gospel um, in chapter 4. Um, again, the, the story is, um, you know, they, they're, they're in a boat, right? They, they're traveling across the, the Sea of Galilee. Jesus is actually in the boat with them, right? And this big storm comes up. And, uh, and, and the disciples are terrified. And, uh, and, and you can't really blame them in their defense. I mean, it was, uh, most of these guys were, were kind of seasoned fishermen, so they knew something about storms, right? And this was a bad storm. It was violent, and it was, like, threatening to sink the boat and kill them all. And so they were terrified, right? And, and so uh, Jesus, where's Jesus? If you know the story, he's, like, asleep at the back of the boat. I, I mean, I love it. It's kind of amusing. Like, he's in the boat with them, but he's sleeping. Right? He's just like chilling out, and like the storm of the boat is like threshing and, and going nuts. But Jesus is just peaceful. He's just sleeping. He's good. And, and, and so they wake him up, right? And look what they say to him. They say, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? And isn't that sometimes the way we feel about God, right? When we're in a storm? Don't you care? Like, how would you allow this to happen to me? Don't you care about me? I thought you were God who is with me, but don't you care? Like, God, you're asleep. Isn't that what we sometimes we feel like we're in the midst of a storm? And then I love Jesus' response. He gets up, right? He rebukes the wind, and he says to the waves, quiet. Be still. And then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. You know, who's in your boat with you, right? Like, I mean, in this life, we're going to experience storms. It's guaranteed. They're, they're, you've either gone through one, you're in the middle of one right now, or there's one right around the corner. I mean, life is hard. That's the reality, right? You know that. I know that. Uh, we, we, if you've, you know, over the age of 15, you've probably experienced a few storms already. Uh, and so we, we all go through storms in this life. The question is, who's in your boat with you, right? And so he, he, here's, here's my encouragement. So you jot this down. Uh, real peace is not found in the absence of the storm. Real peace is found in the presence of Jesus. Real peace is not found in the absence of storms, but is found in the presence of Jesus. You know, we will all experience storms in this life. Right? And Jesus, I love Jesus. He is is so straight up with us. Right? In, In John's gospel, he says, I've told you these things so that you might have peace. Right? Peace in the midst of storms. He says, in this world, you will have trouble. Right? You will have storms. Some of them will be violent. Some of them will rage for days and days to the point where you're ready to give up hope. But he says, take heart. Fear not. Have faith. Right? Why? Because I have overcome the world, right? And I'm with you. I'm with you. And I will never forsake you. So Paul says in verse 23, last night an angel of the Lord um, of the God to whom I belong, to whom I serve, stood beside me and said, do not be afraid, Paul. You have a stand trial before Caesar and God has graciously given you the lives of all who sell with you. What is God saying to Paul? He's like, Paul, I'm not done with you yet, right? And I think something, someone needs to hear this, right? You will get through the storm because God's not done with you. Like as long as you're alive, Right? As long as you're alive, God's not through with you. There's still more that God has for you to do. More opportunities to serve, more people to love, the kingdom to come in your life, and for you to be a conduit of his kingdom wherever God has placed you. As long as you've got breath in your lungs, God is not through with you. Right, Paul, don't fear. Right, You'll stand trial before Caesar. You'll get to preach the gospel in Rome. I'm not done with you yet, so do not fear. And here's the thing that I've noticed about our good and our gracious God. Whatever storm you're going through, right, whether it's a storm of your own making or whether it's a storm because of someone else and someone has done something, said something, and kind of created a chaos in your life, whatever that might be, God always redeems the storms, right? He just does that. He just redeems storms. It's what he does, you know, In Paul's case, the ship was, in fact, lost, right? If you read the story, I encourage you to read it in in chapter 27 and onwards. You know, the the ship is actually lost, but all the people are saved. They end up on the island Malta. And and the crazy story, Paul gets bitten by a snake, and everyone thinks he's going to die, but he doesn't. And they go, like, he's a God. He's like, no, I'm not a God, but let me tell you about my God, the God to whom I belong and whom I serve. And he gets to preach the gospel, right? God always redeems the storms of our lives, right? The very thing that threatens to kill you, right? As you get through the storm, when you're on the other side of that, God will allow you to use that to help someone else who's going through the same kind of storm, whatever that looks like in your life. Um, So keep your courage, man. Keep up your courage, ladies. That's what Paul says. Keep your courage, man. Keep up your courage. Why? Let's say this out loud together. For I have faith in God, and it will happen to me just as he's told. Why? Why? Because I have faith in God. And who is God? God is a God who is with us. God is a God who is Emmanuel. Who will never flee us, never forsake us. Always with us. Right? I have faith in God. That, that it will happen just as he has told me. I love that, right? It will happen just as he has told me. Now here's the thing, right? You can't control the storms. Right? that you're going through in this life. You can't. I mean, that's something in our, our life that are beyond us. And sometimes God allows storms into our lives. But here's what you can't control. You can't control what you believe and where you put your faith in the midst of a storm. Right? You know, I, and, and I said this earlier, like, man, if, if you're not a believer, right, if, if you don't know the God who declares himself to be Emmanuel, God with us, right? When you come to the end of yourself, that's all there is, right? When you get to the point where the storm is raging, and you're ready to give up all hope, you've got no hope. But for those of us who are in Christ, when you come to the end of yourself, you're not alone. There is a God who has promised to be with you, who will never forsake you, will never leave you. And if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you have this incredible reality of the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit, who is with you 24-7, who will never leave you, never desert you, always lead you, always guide you, always bring you to that place of healing and restoration. You have a God who is with you. And so never allow the presence of a storm to cause you to doubt the presence of your God to whom you belong, to whom you serve, who is right beside you. He is Emmanuel. He is God who is with you. Amen? Amen. All right. I'm going to invite Shane and the team up. Um, they're going to continue to uh, allow us to create space to worship a God who is with us, whose presence is here right now. And if you would, just allow me to pray with you. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your goodness and your grace. Um, Lord, I understand that. that um, I don't know where this message lands for all of us. Some of us are on the back end of a storm and we like, thank you, Jesus. You brought me through. Others of you are in the midst of the storm, and you're asking, like, God, where are you? It seems like you're asleep. Don't you care? Um, But, God, you do, in fact, care. And you have promised to always be with us. And so, Lord, I pray that you would just encourage those that are in the midst of a storm right now that you would cause faith to rise up, that you would cause just this bold courage to come forth, that they would know, that they would know, that they would know that you are with them. And oftentimes we don't always understand, we don't always see your hand at work in the midst of a storm. But you are with us. You are always near. And so, Father, I pray that you would bring courage where courage is needed, You would bring um, just faith where faith is needed. You would bring comfort where comfort is needed. You would bring direction where direction is needed because you are a God who leads, who guides, who comforts, who heals, who restores and ultimately redeems. And so, Lord, I pray for just the redemption of all the storms of our lives that ultimately they could be used for your glory and we would find joy in seeing you in the midst of the storm. And I pray for this grace in your precious name. Amen.